This is episode number 213, Mobility for Peak Performance with Kelly Starrett of The Ready State. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about how to live a high-performance life, spanning the categories of mindset, plant-based nutrition, and inspiring stories to help you be better every day. The thing we always coach to is the best expression of the system. And what we tend to see in our athletes is that incomplete mechanics, missing hip flexion, missing some aspect, missing hip extension in our cyclists, leads to a leakage and wattage and loss of power when we restore those things, we see the resolution of power, but also the pain gets taken care of. What we're beginning to do a better job of is establishing best practices around restoration. And here are movement vital signs for our sport. Being better every day encompasses a lot of different things. We talk about nutrition, we talk about mindset, we talk about relationships, we talk about how we treat our body. There's so many things that go with being better every day and with peak performance. Now, if you're like me, you probably like to spend your time, your exercise time, doing things like riding your bike or running or doing things that get your heart rate up. And sometimes it's hard to focus on some of those other things that really do contribute to making us perform better in our sport. And doing things like mobility and breathing exercises have a huge benefit, but sometimes it's really hard to commit to doing those things. And I admit that I've had a relationship where I've been on and off the wagon with mobility and breathing, and I know that I would benefit from doing more of it. And something that was really interesting that my dental hygienist of all people said the other day was that she thinks that she might have to stop mountain biking when she gets older. And I asked her why she thought that. And she said, because she thinks that her knees or her elbows might give out or her shoulders, and then she won't be able to do it anymore. And I thought to myself, wow, I eat a plant-based diet so that I can be disease-free or prevent and reverse as many diseases into old age and not be sick whenever I'm older. But what am I doing to train for the next 50 years of my life? What am I doing to make sure that my body is going to continue letting me do the things that I want to do? And that really helped me put into perspective the importance of mobility because I personally have lots of niggling injuries that keep popping back up and I know exactly what they're from. And I usually wait until I'm injured before I go to the doctor or the chiropractor or the physio or to actually take care of it. So if you're in the same category as me, I really want you to listen to this podcast and check out The Ready State. I'm making a commitment to adding this into my life, to doing something every single day to help with my mobility and performance. And a lot of times we think it needs to be this thing that's going to take lots of time. And I'll tell you what, if I just do five squats, five air squats, or if I'm laying on the floor with my son, I do two movements that are going to help me. Just adding in little things like that can make it more achievable than saying I need to sit down and do this thing for a long period of time. If you pay attention to mobility for peak performance, then you've probably heard of Kelly. And his company is called The Ready State. And Kelly is a wealth of knowledge. He is absolutely incredible. He spent over 10,000 hours as a movement and mobility coach for players in the NFL, MLB, NHL, NBA, Olympic gold medalists, and other world-class athletes. He's also a doctor of physical therapy. Kelly is also the author of several books, including the New York Times bestseller, Becoming a Supple Leopard, The Ultimate Guide to Resolving Pain, Preventing Injury, and Optimizing Athletic Performance. 
And he's the author of the book Deskbound, Standing Up to a Sitting World. And I actually recently just got both of these books from the library. That's right. I said library. I forgot that you could actually get a library card and check out books from the library. I don't know why I've forgotten about this. I've just defaulted to buying books. So I'm really excited to have this library card. (laughs) I encourage you guys to check out your library. Anyway, I got these books and I'm just excited to learn more and especially about the standing up in a sitting world, the book Deskbound, because I thought to myself, well, I'm a cyclist and I need to rest, so I need to be sitting down more. But in our podcast today, we actually talk about why you still need to do a lot of walking, even if you're doing hard workouts. Kelly has been on so many podcasts, more podcasts than I can count, including Tim Ferriss and Joe Rogan. So if this is the first time you've heard of Kelly, I encourage you to go deeper and look him up online. Another fun fact about Kelly is that he is a two-time national champion in whitewater rafting. In today's episode, we talk about defining what actually counts as an injury and what isn't an injury, using pain as information, when to push through pain, cycling dysfunctions like knee pain. We talked about how to breathe, and this is something that has been really interesting for me over the last couple of years, and I've been learning more about the diaphragm, about how everything works, so you should definitely listen to that part of the podcast to breathe in 360. We also talked about nose breathing and CO2 tolerance drills and how they improve performance. There's a lot of interesting things in this podcast and many, many, many topics that I wanted to get into, but we would need days probably to cover all of them. I really think it's important to know the difference between mobility and stretching. And according to Kelly, mobility has two components. Does your body have the raw biomechanics and the ability to achieve the shapes native to human beings? And what is the typical range of motion? Do you have the skill to express those positions? Does your brain understand what good shapes and good technique is? And secondarily, how can you get into that shape? Kelly says the problem with traditional stretching is you just pull passively on tissues. And what's wrong with this is that the brain is not involved with the process and we're not taking a systems approach. More than one component may be limiting our ability to move. So taking a systematic approach to restoring our movement mapped with technique is mobility. All right, before we get into it, I want to take a few minutes to thank our sponsors and tell you guys about some really awesome products that I've been using. So Number one, you've probably heard me talk about Sproutman and sprouting. And a lot of people love the podcast episode a few weeks ago with Doug Evans and his book, The Sprout Book. And sprouting is as easy as soaking, rinsing, and harvesting. It's literally the easiest food to grow. And I should know because I've been doing it in a tiny corner of my kitchen. And I'm somebody that kills cactus. So attest that this is easy and sprouting is so incredibly healthy. So what is sprouting? You get these amazing sprouting seeds and Sproutman has seeds that have a 95% germination rate and they are organic non-GMO. So you're getting really high quality. You put two to four tablespoons of these seeds and they multiply substantially after soaking them for eight hours so that they germinate. And then you just rinse them twice a day in these little hemp bags. And then you grow these amazing sprouts that taste good and they are incredibly nutrient dense. And that is the main reason that I enjoy sprouting. They have 20 to 30 times the amount of nutrients of regular vegetables. So if you're somebody that is not a big fan of vegetables or just has a hard time adding in tons of vegetables into your day, this could be a really great compromise for you. So go to sproutman.com Sonia and do something that is going to make you a little bit better today. Eat some vegetables, eat some sprouts. And as they say, you are ready to grow. 
how's your inbox doing? Is it pretty organized or is it a nightmare? Do you open your inbox and feel anxiety? Well, we have a great company called SaneBox to tell you about, and it's AI for your email. SaneBox identifies important messages, hides distractions, helps you with follow-ups, has a do not disturb feature, and banishes annoying senders to a folder called Sane Black Hole. If your email is getting out of hand, you can do a 14-day free trial and a $25 credit towards a SaneBox subscription if you use the link sanebox.com slash Sonia. And this is how I got into it. I tried it out and I realized that I really needed this program. And I tried other email sorting programs and I wasn't that impressed. And also some of them are really hard to use. So I love SaneBox because they walk you through using it. It's really easy. And you can also train SaneBox to know where to send new emails if they put it in the wrong folder to begin with. The basic monthly plan is only 23 cents a day, super cheap. And it is definitely worth getting that time back for 23 cents a day. There's different folders like Sane News and Sane Later where it will put emails in those folders where it knows you want to read those emails, but maybe they shouldn't be front and center whenever you're opening your inbox because the inbox is the primary source of distraction for me whenever I sit down at my computer to work. So go to sanebox.com slash Sonia. If you try it out, let me know what you think. I'd love to hear. All right, let's get into this great episode with Kelly Starrett. Welcome to the podcast, Kelly. Super major pleasure. It's so awesome to finally get to talk to you because I've been following you for quite some time and I really love all the work that you've been doing. Well, thank you. You'll never get that time back, A. And B, I'm actually glad to connect because I have more mutant women in my life <laughs> compared to the men in my life. The women are like, it's like 10 to 1 mutants. And so I'm just like, oh, let me just add another mutant woman cyclist to my life. It's just totally normal. And you're married to a mutant. She is a mutant. It's true. Juliet is a three-time world champion, two-time cancer survivor, CEO. It's really like, I have bad self-esteem married to my wife. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, I love and I've listened to you on lots of podcasts. And I think you said in one of them, like the best decision you ever made was marrying her. Oh, no, no. Tricking her, deciding I needed to fool her to marry me. This <laughs> is I mean, I have to be totally honest. When I met Juliet, I was a kayak rep, right? I had quit the national team. I was done racing from an injury and I was putting myself back together. And it was like a year out from that. And I was a kayak rep and I was training for this extreme whitewater race and all my national team friends we all qualified the spot and we went to chile and i met this girl there and I, at the time i mean i had a dog and a truck and kayaks and i lived in one bedroom in durango and uh you know i don't know what she saw in me but uh thank goodness she uh she was obviously blind for a moment because i tricked her into being my partner i love it so you just used the word injury and i'm just gonna jump right into one of these topics i wanted to bring up how do mm. you define injury because I think a lot of us use the word incorrectly. I'm so glad you brought that up because right now we're in a revolution of pain science. And more importantly, not that necessarily that pain science has changed how we're thinking about pain, but more importantly, who owns pain, right? Because the real distinction here around injury and pain is those things are not the same thing. And in fact, I mean, if I jumped into your body in the middle of a race, my brain would explode. I wouldn't be able to take the suffering and pain. I would think this is a, an organism on fire, right? I mean, so the relativity of the kinds of pain matters. And also, you know, what we want people to understand is that pain is definitely 
a brain's polite request for change. And if you've ever been in pain, it's change in behavior. And don't get me wrong, bone is sticking out of your leg, there's pathology, you've got an infection, those are real things. But what we immediately equate as pain is tissue damage. And it's not tissue damage. It doesn't even mean that you're injured. It means that you're sensitized or that your brain is perceiving something you're doing as threatening. And that's really the way we start this conversation because that changes the name of this. Like pain suddenly for me is as important a metric as wattage, as heart rate, as heart rate variability, as sleep. The problem with sometimes understanding pain is that it's difficult for us to connect behaviors with our painful conditions, right? Because if I'm stressed, hypohydrated, underfed, you know, stress, you know, underrested, then that's going to drop my resilience and something that my brain may have just glossed over in the past is going to suddenly raise above the sort of cloud, you know, formation of threat and be like, hey, pay attention to me. And likewise, we want to want everyone to appreciate that if you something is hurting, then that's a real opportunity to understand something about your mechanics, your recovery. So if you show up today and, and your wattage sucks, right, and you're supposed to hit X amount of watts for this piece and or something that we're working on. And I'm like, what's wrong with you? And you're like, well, I had a fight with my partner and I have a baby and I didn't sleep and I didn't eat yesterday. Like we can be like, oh, okay, no wonder you suck today. Like it's so easy for us to make those connections. The problem is that we can get away with murder on our bodies for so long because our bodies are so amazing and they're so robust and so tolerant. And you know, you've done this a thousand times. So you smash yourself, hang up the bike, sit down at the computer, do what you ever need to do. And you're like, because that's the way the world works. And, and now, particularly if you have a baby, it's going to be even more so. Where you're like, I have an hour. You're like, okay, warm up. I'm warmed up. I held my baby for five minutes. I'm warmed up. And then you're going to get into it, get the work done, put the baby, you know what I mean? Your, your partner will hand, you'll hand the baby to your partner. And what we want people to appreciate is that if we looked at pain as information, then now I have a really powerful tooling device. In fact, there's a whole bunch of sort of cues about pain that are precursors, stiffness, you know, sensitivity. And to original question, what we want to define injury as, hey, I have a clear mechanism of injury. I've fallen, there's a, you know, I have a bruise, something's obvious. I've got something that smells with like pathology, like night sweats, dizziness, fever, vomiting, nausea, right? Something's going on. Or I can no longer occupy my role in society or occupy my role in the team. So if you're hurting and if you ever ridden your bike or competed when you're in pain? Yes. Raise your hand. If you're an athlete, that's part of the athletic experience. And so when you suddenly can't do then that's when we define injury. And what's really important about this distinction is that this gives us a moment to redefine who owns pain and, and when we begin to have an intervention on it. So that it's not, I wait until it's so bad I can no longer ride. It's, hey, this is part of the training experience and is part of the adaptation response or changing tissue quality or moving or decongesting. And so what we see is that a lot of the tools around pain amelioration actually belong in the training side, not on the medical injury side. And what's really great is that we have so many incredible tools now, blood flow restriction and percussion and voodoo flossing and, and massage and gua sha and THC and Ambien and alcohol. And I mean, people have been self-soothing their pain away for a long time. I mean, have you ever taken an ibuprofen and raced? Don't have to answer that question. The answer I know is yes. And that's because you're like, hey, I, I'm gonna go to work. My job is to race. And I'm a real person with real training. So it's really a great opportunity because what we're finding now is that we want people to appreciate that the physiology suggests 
good positions are more stable, more robust positions. And we know they're good positions because they speak to our native physiology, but also because we can generate more wattage from that position, right? And so if your ankle foot collapses, knee drives in, suddenly your hip is irritated or your VMO is a little sore or you've got a little sore patella, right? Your collapse through your foot and your calf is tight, right? We know that we can change something. And sometimes just the changing is enough for your brain to say, hey, new position, it's all good, no threat here. But the thing we always coach to is the best expression of the system. And what we tend to see in our athletes is that incomplete mechanics, missing hip flexion, missing some aspect, missing hip extension in our cyclists leads to a leakage and sort of loss of power, comma, when we restore those things, we see the resolution of power, but also the pain gets taken care of. So what we're beginning to do a better job of is establishing best practices around restoration. And here are movement vital signs for our sport. I love all those things. One thing that I'd love to talk about really quick is good pain versus bad pain, because there's some pains that you should push through and there's some pains that you shouldn't push through. So how can people know the difference? Well, let's just start with the assumption that I can't be pain-free. Resting state of the human being is pain-free. You should not have pain, right? Remember, quest to change. But I'm also a realist, and I know that many of us are training now at levels and intensities that were unheard of a generation ago. Even just, you know, it's crazy what the average wreck cyclist is putting out, right? And how many miles she's doing. And Strava doesn't make that better, right? Lost my streak. You know, I mean, it's crazy what people are doing. And, you know, to your point, I think one of the things that we want people to appreciate is, hey, it's painful. It doesn't mean I need to stop. What it means is I need to change some behavior. And that may be after the ride. That may mean I can't ignore it anymore. But if something gets worse, then that's something that's interesting. What a lot of times what we want people to begin is this relationship where, hey, once I warmed up, I felt great. And that happens a lot. Oh, super stiff, knee hurt. I'll see how it goes. Warm up, start to feel great, right? But I want to remember that, hey, my body was telling me something. So that could be a perfusion, blood flow, extensibility issue. You know, we, it, let's be honest, we can be as mechanically as efficient as hummingbirds on road bikes. That's the truth, comma, no human being was ever designed to push 500 watts in a sitting position. It's very weird. It's super weird, right? Rad, but weird. And so what we see is that there are some very common patterns of dysfunction around any sport. Swimmers look like swimmers. Cyclists look like cyclists. Crossfitters look like crossfitters, right? Whatever, whatever it is you do. But if all of a sudden you're riding and something is getting worse or you rode and it got worse after, then we know, hey, I need to really modify my behavior versus I can sort of ignore this for the minute. But when we get really honest about it, people are managing their pain. They're doing it with alcohol and THC and ibuprofen. And so we have been dishonest about who owns pain for a long time. It's on the athlete to deal with this. So our, our solution is, hey, there's a whole bunch of things we can do that are not that are drug free that also will help you perform better. And that's really what we want to do is that we want to begin to see the narrative of performance enhancing recovery and behaviors are the same things that keep my tissues rock solid and stable. So if people are listening, most of the listeners are cyclists. You talked about some dysfunctions that are, there's sport specific dysfunctions and then there's mm. dysfunctions from sitting at a desk as well. But can we talk about some of the cycling sports specific dysfunctions? Because a lot of people actually, they won't go see a physio or a chiropractor They and they'll just go see their family doc and family docs will just give you pills, which doesn't do anything. 
So can we talk about some of the things that people might be experiencing where they can realize that there is more than just taking pills or quote stretching? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And you know, let's um, because I. I have a bunch of physicians in my family will say that if I go to my physician and she doesn't watch me on the bike or, or watch me move or see my setup or understanding of that, that's like taking my car to the dentist. So maybe I'm right. It's not the best use of my physician. So first and foremost, let's begin to say that we have completely disempowered people about how to take care of their bodies, right? You are so sophisticated. You know how many grams you're going to eat and what you're going to refuel is. And I, I can look at all your, your wattage data and splits, comma. I'm like, when your knee hurts, what do you do? You're like, I don't know. I just don't know. I'm like, well, you can change a flat, right? You can true your wheel. What do you mean you don't know what to do? It's like the body is actually the first machine and then the bike is the second machine. And so I want to apologize on behalf of every medical professional and every coach on the planet who said, oh, you're not smart enough to do any basic maintenance on yourselves. So to answer your question, what we want people to appreciate first and foremost is if we started with nothing else, um, we could look, go like what I call little window, right? Small window, which is, well, your, your patellar tendon hurts. Your knee hurts for some reason, right? Well, what can we do to make that that part of your kneecap or area around your kneecap feel better. Well, we can decongest it, which means we could continue. You know, one of the mistakes that we make is we put out huge volumes. My wife and I included, we love to ride. We are riders. I'm the biggest cyclist you know. And uh, simultaneously, you know, it's easy then to like hit the brakes and not keep moving through the day. So one of the things that we want, I want every cyclist to listen, who's listening to think is I may have gone for a ride, but I still need to walk seven to 10,000 steps today. And I'm doing that to continue the engine idling so that I can decongest, that I can continue to pump waste out through my lymphatics. So all of the waste, natural waste products, I'm not talking about toxic, you know, toxins. I'm talking about Part of the natural process of metabolism, it doesn't all go out through the circulation. The secondary circulation platform is the lymphatic system. That's how we move lymph and congestion and, and waste of our bodies. It's the sewage of our bodies. So if you don't move because you're like, I just smashed myself. I'm now I'm on the couch and watching Netflix. What's going to happen is that that sewage is a passive system and it's all predicated on your muscles contracting. So if you can just think, hey, for example, I just went for a ride. I don't have time to jump in the boots or jump on a Mark Pro or move my body. I'm just going to make sure that I'm standing at my workstation, fidgeting, twitching, kind of, and that'll be enough. So just I want you to think, hey, I need to be in motion because the first order of business for healthy tissues is to decongest them. And we see sometimes that if we just take congestion down, pain stops, right? So again, compression, elevation, movement, those are the games. Even just a little spin out or a walk out a few hours after your ride will make a big difference. You know, what I would love for people to do is actually cool down before they get off the bike. But you know, I know how it is like, boom, you know, my Strava starts at my garage and ends at my garage, right? I, I'm a realist. You're laughing because it's true. You're like, I'm warmed up. I'm I laughing too because I'm, I'm always late or I'm always like running late because I have a set amount of time to ride and then my husband's waiting for me to go yes. back to work and I'm always like <laughs> hammering down the bike path just trying to make it home so my husband can leave on time. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm a realist. I appreciate that. When I have two babies and one of the things that my wife and I used to do is one of us would be holding an infant and then as soon as you were done off the, the machine, the bike, the rowing machine, 
it was my turn. So we would hand the person, the person who's on the floor, we'd be like, hold the baby. And you're like, I can't hold the baby. My arms are cramping and I'm too breathing too hard. And, you know, I'm like, it's my turn. So we get this. So we, we want to think, hey, can I decongest this area? And that's a really powerful tool. And so that first word decongest is very simple, very, very, very easy. Even compression socks make a massive difference in decongestion. The second thing we like to say is, well, can you desensitize the area? Right. Or you can flip this around. And sometimes using a percussion device or gua sha or myself. The brain is perceiving the tissue. And that's let's start with the, the fact that your body actually doesn't create pain. Your brain interprets signals from your body as pain. So that that's sort of mindset. Like I guarantee you it doesn't you could have crashed, taken all the skin off your leg. And as we are, you're riding the last one kilometer, you know you're going to win the stage, you're, you're going to win the race, you feel no pain because your brain is that great. In fact, in the middle of the battle and competition, you don't feel anything. Afterwards, you're like, I got hit by a truck during the race. I feel nothing. Why? Because my brain is that amazing and powerful. So there are techniques around desensitization. Breathing can be a powerful way to desensitize. We use contract, relax. So if you have a painful area, get on a ball, get on a roller. Take a four-second inhale on something that hurts, contract the muscle for four seconds, and then take an eight-second long exhale as you relax. So suddenly there, we're doing isometric work, eccentric work. We're tying PNF-style modalities to change length tension relationship with the musculature. We're impacting the fascia. I'm speaking quickly because it doesn't matter what the mechanisms are. What matters is, oh, I have a tool to make myself feel better, and it's called squeezing the muscle and relaxing the muscle, which is enough sometimes for the brain to say, oh, this is not a threatening position, okay? And then lastly, after we have all these desensitizing tools, we say, okay, how can I improve blood flow to this area? And again, we're still talking little window, right? We're still talking about what's happening to tissue. So I have tools like blood flow restriction, NMES, like Mark Pro or Compex or some of these other devices that allow me to get a non-fatiguing muscle contraction, garbage out groceries in. And what we see all of a sudden is, poof, I just get that thing pumped with blood, right? You know what all the lifters do after their main or lifts? They go and do a bunch of accessory work. And the accessory work is to get a pump. Can you imagine if cyclists did the same thing? You got off your bike and went into the garage and just got a pump? I guarantee your knees would feel better, right? And uh, it's so anathema to being a cyclist. But my point is, we do the same thing with our baseball players. You know, that elbow has to be engorged with blood for the tendons and ligaments to be rock solid and to heal and feel good. So we have these three kind of tools, to, and that's just locally. Then we can say, well, do you have your basic range of motion? Because if your hip is missing a huge chunk of range of motion, or if I lay you down on your stomach and try to bring your heel to your butt, your heel should basically come within a f one fist width of your butt. So have your partner lay you down tonight, your train rider, whatever, someone in your family, your kid, grab your heel, keep your leg in line, just like you were on the bike. Don't let it fly out so you can't do some kind of crazy circus bear riding. And then just close your heel down. And if it stops at 90, that's like you're riding with your handbrake on. And what we haven't said to anyone is, hey, maybe it's not your body. It's definitely their saddle height. You need to drop that saddle height one millimeter and raise your stem three millimeters. That is not the problem. The problem is you've gotten freakishly stiff. You can generate freakish amounts of work in that position. So now we can say, well, hey, let's start to restore your native range of motion. I know you're a cyclist and you only need this little tiny window, but actually you're a human being and you need much more than that. So when we begin to restore people's position, 
give them more movement options. We can do things like improve your aerodynamics on the bike because I can get you into a better flex position, right? I can make your shoulders connect your body to the handlebars more effectively because you can create better stability. So again, the thing I worship at is not pain, no pain, because I think that's a low bar. It's watt, no watt. And the thing I'm obsessed with is getting the most wattage out of you. Yeah, I thought that was really cool whenever you said, if your knee dives in, you're giving up watts. And a lot of people just think, oh, well, my knee dives in or my knee hurts sometimes or my T-spine is tight. Like, uh, so what if I so what if I can't take a deep breath? Like, I just got to keep going. Got to keep hammering. Crazy. It's crazy. And you can keep hammering. You can. That's what we want people to remember is that, like, you know, there's going to be a time where, like, we're in the middle of the race. You need to get it done. You're a big kid. Right. Comma. Mm, you know, I think you can ride pain-free. It wasn't always painful. And, you know, and a lot of people have these elaborate rituals and creams that they're using and things and this shoe and this shim. And man, it's, we're dancing around. Instead, you're stuck in third gear and your car, and your handbrake is on. So let's just start taking those things off. So again, for me, the pain piece is really the low bar. The higher bar is how do we restore your native position so that you have more movement option and less and more efficiency, more mechanical efficiency. If someone is stiff, it's going to cost them wattage to put the power this, to put out the same watts that I can put out if I'm not as stiff. And the efficiency over one hour, two hours, three hours really starts to aggregate. And if you don't think it matters today, because early in the ride, everyone is the same. It starts to matter later on when the when the, the, it starts to add up or matters on day two or day four of your vacation of riding, you're starting to feel like crap. And I'm like, huh, you could buffer it for a few days, but you couldn't buffer it forever. So if people are listening. They're like, yeah, like I want to assess my range of motion. You guys have built the best mobility empire ever. So can you tell us about that? So people can start a self-assessment. <laughs> I'm, not even sure that's, I'm not even sure that that's a compliment, right? That's like, you know, Hey, I have the coolest root canals there are, right? <laughs> so we we tried to make stretching cool for the first time ever. And um, the main thing is, and really the power is, look, if you're lucky enough to have a brilliant coach or a physio w with you who works with you, who knows your body, she is able to see your changes and pick up your mechanical changes. That's really the game, right? Like if you have come out of a tradition that jumps on things early then that's really amazing. Like, I'm going to throw Kate Courtney under the bus right now. She is one of the most extraordinary athletes I've ever met. I've never, uh, she's one of the athletes, women or male, who has the greatest runway in front of her on any athlete I've ever met in any sport, right? And one day she called me up. She's like, hey, I'm putting 49% power in my left leg and 51% in my right leg. That's unacceptable. And I was like, this is why I worship at the, uh, the altar of Sparkle Watts because she connected position mechanics of her body to output. And that's what we failed to do for a long time. So what we're trying to do is create a movement language where we integrate position as part of the training experience. If I ask the average cyclist, how much hip flexion do you need to ride your bike? They can't answer that question. You know, I'm like, oh, instead you have to move your seat back because you can't get your knee around on the pedal. Oh, I know what's happening here, right? You had to raise your seat and now your hip rocks side to side. Why? Because your knee hurt when you were pedaling. Mm, I've seen that game before. Your neck sucks, right? You could just go down the list of the things. So it's because it's not anyone's fault. It's because we came out of a tradition, which was you survived, whoever had the best genetics worked, right? We broke a lot of eggs we didn't need to break. We ruined a lot of athletes we didn't need to ruin. But as soon as 
we make position part of the native language. The same, look, our athletes, our, our cycling athletes are some of the most sophisticated athletes I know. They know how much their cassette weighs. They know how much their, their seat weighs. They know which food they need to eat when. They know their routes. They know their power. They know what's going on, right? They know their ranking in their local king of the mountain. And yet we haven't said, hey, your body needs to be able to get into these shapes effortlessly. And that's, that is an easy thing to do. And it's somehow... You know, some of this is because maybe we inherited cycling or it came from a different age and it's really a little bit of an older sport because people have been racing bikes for a long time. Like ballet was a good example of a, of a sport or an aesthetic that was trapped in the you know, late 1800s. And it really, until, until recent times, have our modern ballet athletes, like they actually train like athletes. You can't tell the difference between some of our ballet dancers and some of our football players in terms of how they prepare, how they warm up, how they cool down, what they eat, et cetera, et cetera. So... The bottom line is, you know, we say touch anywhere to begin, right? So, you know, this conversation about your body can feel overwhelming because remember when you were a new cyclist, it was all overwhelming. You know, which stem do I need? How, what bike do I choose? Why those shoes? What's going on? Bike fit. And all you need to do is start by saying, is there something, let's start by conjoining or making a connection between the ride we did today is a diagnostic tool. So if you rode your bike today, you have some information about your body. So for me, I have a super narrow pelvis, right? My pelvic bones, for, I'm 6'2", 230 pounds. I'm a big guy. But my, you and I probably ride on the same width saddle. Like we are, I'm on a little tiny saddle because I have a little narrow pelvis, which means my legs go out at an angle sometimes when I ride. I don't ride like this because that would just, my femurs don't fit. So I have, my legs kind of go out and strip them down. And the first time some bike fitters saw that, they were like, you're crazy. And I was like, nope, I just have a narrow pelvis. And I, they measured my pelvis and it's narrow. But what happens then for me is my adductors, the inside of my thighs, that adductor hamstring is the thing that gets cooked on me. Not my quads, not my hamstrings, my adductors. So when I'm behind, because that's my anthropometry, because we're not all the same shape and body, but I'm starting to know myself now. So I did hard intervals this morning. Why? I don't know. Because I was coming on your podcast and I was like, I, <laughs> it's because I couldn't go outside because the apocalypse is happening. But I did 30 second, you know, 30 seconds on, 90 seconds off until my wattage falls apart. And what I found like number six was, oh, my adductors are stiff. So now, and what I could tell is they just they didn't feel great. They were stiff. They kind of ached more than the rest of my body during these big, big outputs. And now tonight. I can spend some time when I have time, right? I don't have to give up my life. Kid goes to sleep at some point. It's going to be dark at some point. Pull out your roller, pull out your ball, pull out your wine bottle, pull out your kettlebell and just start a conversation with your soft tissue. So notice that I took the positional quality out of it. What I said was, hey, the bike is also the diagnostic tool. So what felt tight today? Ah, you know, my hips felt a little stiff. My low back felt a little stiff. Great. Then we can start to make our behaviors work in conjunction with the thing we just did. That's how to start. Remember, normal tissues don't hurt to compression. So if you push on something and it hurts, we have found an area we can improve. And that's not just tight muscles. That can be fascia. That can be hydration. That can be lymphatic motion. That, I mean, there's some aspect of that tissue that your brain is like, I don't like that. So I as a reference, should be able to walk up and down my big heavy self, up and down your quadriceps, and you should be like, you don't weigh enough, Kelly. right? But if I stood on your quadriceps with even just the weight of my leg, you would like vomit and black out, wake up, I'd still be standing on your quads. And what I want people to appreciate is that we are really stiff, and it's so easy to begin a conversation of restoration. 
So you mentioned you've mentioned a lot of different modalities for recovery. If people want to just pick three, like what are the top three that people should just start using? And I know you guys sell a bunch of them on your website as well, so people can check it out there. Well, what we always have said is, look, we need do what you have where you are with what you can. So, yes, we have some Bugatti tools and tools that are very effective, right? Like they just are more effective. Like that's why we made our tools, because we know them to be more effective. But guess what? A lacrosse ball works great. A basketball works great. You know, you have a roller in your house. It's called three lacroix cans taped together. <laughs> so at some point, I guarantee you, you can find something in your house to mobilize on. And that's where I really want people to start is that it doesn't matter. You don't need the perfect setup. And our, our really, you know, the thing that you need most is some simple soft tissue, some myofascial work. You can get a ton of bang for the buck for pushing on your some aspects of your tissue, making sure you can take a full breath. So let's set a couple rules for this. Because if you have a ball and a roller, you should get started tonight. And our basic template is see if you can commit to 10 minutes of work tonight. That's it, 10 minutes. That's, that is our sort of our, our guideline. You spent more than 10 minutes planning your route or logging your straw. So I know you got 10 <laughs> minutes, don't lie to me. Right? And what we do is we tend to put the 10 minutes in the evening before bedtime. Because we know there's nothing really happening at that time, right? You're watching TV, you're on Facebook, you're on Instagram, you're chilling out. And that's the perfect time to do this. So I want to unload your day so that you can do what you need to do as a mom, as a partner, as a, as a solo, whatever it is. But let's just move that soft tissue before you go to bed. So 10 minutes is our base entry. And if you want to do 15 minutes, you just go right ahead. If you're a little achiever because that's who you are and that's, you know, you're an A student. But what we know is you don't have to treat your whole body. So the first thing I said was, let's see if we can connect your behavior or something around the way you're feeling to what you want to work on. So, hey, my low back feels stiff. Well, I'm, all I'm going to do is lay on the ground and put a ball underneath my low back. And I don't even know, you know the name of the muscles or what it is. But if I find something that doesn't feel good to compression, I stop, don't need to go anywhere, take a breath, four-second inhale, four-second contract, eight-second exhale. And I'll stay there until I make change. And if I do five minutes on the left side and five minutes on the right side, that's 10 minutes of work. We'll get the quadriceps tomorrow. We'll get the calves the day after that. We'll get the hamstrings the day after that. We have plenty of time. Because suddenly if you did this 10 minutes a night, that's 70 minutes a week of soft tissue health, of improving your mechanics and power. And what we start to see then, especially if we do that in the evening, is that you're likely to fall asleep more quickly. You'll stay asleep longer. You'll sleep deeper. And tomorrow morning, you're going to smash your workout. And that's the thing we care about. We want you to start to connect the dots about, and I want to be super clear because the last thing I want to do is say, we should do these things because they'll prevent injury. I'm like, really? I'm like, How about this? We do these things because they make us rad. That's the reason I want to do something. And what we've seen through the decades that we've been doing this and the fact that we work in professional cycling and football and professional soccer and rugby and MMA and choose a sport, it turns out the body is the body. What we found was if we get athletes to do this a little bit, we make massive, massive change and it's sticky. It's a sticky behavior because people feel good and they feel better and they perform better. So that is my sell. Like I'm not selling you anything, but I'm telling you is that don't be lazy. You're so lazy. Quit it. I know you can die on the bike and you can crush your friends to the next town sign, town lim you know, limit sign. But in the meantime, let's go ahead and just when, when it works in our schedule today, get on the ground, start rolling around, put the ball where it hurts, see if you can get 10 minutes there. Yeah. And that's a really simple and easy thing that people can do without having to do complicated, 
you know, movements under load and all these things. It's just no. very, very simple where you can see positive results. That's important too, comma, that's not the conversation we're having. And look, you want to go all the way, we're going to do some squats. We're going to spend some time in a split position, opening up your hip. We're going to, we're going to make sure that you connect your, those powerful hips to the machine, comma, what we realize is, man, let's just go ahead and just do the basic maintenance on this thing. And when we make that part of cycling, what I want people never to fear is that they'll have to stop riding. Riding is, there's two things I think we should do well into our old age. We should backpack, aka rucking, which means you put 10 pounds in a backpack and walk around your neighborhood, right? Or you can just carry your baby. That's fine, right? But you are designed to walk. And I said first, hey, see if you can walk a little bit more. But we can ride our bikes as a sport until we're nearly dead because we can adjust your position. I know it's a gravel bike, but secretly I know you just got tired of eating your stem and like the stability. It's cool, you can admit it, right? We know that we can adjust your bike as you get older so that you're more and more upright. We can start to add e-assist, which gives you access to the same rides you did when you were 20. There's no reason we can't use bikes as our chief exercise until we're dead. So. If you feel like you're going to ride yourself off the cliff because something's getting so bad you can't ride anymore, that's really scary. Can we talk about how to breathe? Because I've done a lot of like learning about this. I actually took a singing lesson a couple of years ago, and the, yes, and, so progressive. And they told me like, "Hey, you're not breathing in the back of your body very well," and I knew why because I have a very tight T spine. And then also I went and saw a trainer and then after I gave birth, I, I you know, I want to get recovered. So I went to a pelvic floor physio and a flared, flared ribs and flared diaphragm became part of the conversation with the personal training person and also with the pelvic floor physio. And then my chiropractor told me about dynamic neuromuscular stabilization, which all these things start playing together, how you breathe, flared ribs, like in cycling, the respiratory system is often overlooked. Like it's like looking at our heart rate, looking at our power numbers and the respiratory system, like even looking at how many breaths per minute you take and when you change and then like what <laughs> volumes are you breathing and can you access yes. your full respiratory capacity? Yes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Love to. And what I want people to appreciate is what you just said was a whole bunch of people are saying, wow, this may be really important to you. Right. And I'm last time I checked, Cycling is an aerobic sport. This is the last time I checked. Pro tip, right? You breathe really hard cycling. What's really interesting around this is that we just assume your VO2 max is set, but it's on. You're, we're taking your VO2 max off of a choked down carburetor. You are breathing at like 60% of your volume, which makes it really tricky. And you're breathing through your mouth and your CO2 tolerance is crap, yada, yada, yada. So here's the deal. Here's the drill. What I want you to do right now is go ahead and slouch for me. Just let it go. It feels so good. Go ahead and crank your neck back. You're a biker. It feels so good. Right? <laughs> it's already back. <laughs> <laughs> Can't go any back anymore. And so now don't change your position, but take the biggest breath in you can. Okay. You did it with your mouth, but now I want you to breathe in through your nose. So take a huge breath through your nose. Notice it's a little bit bigger if you breathe through your nose. Okay. Interesting. We have better access to our diaphragm with a little resistance. Okay. Now watch this. I want you to get into a position where you can take the biggest breath you can. So look what's going to happen. Everyone's listening to this. You and I both sat up very straight. Head became very tall. Rib cage came down. So what's interesting is that I said, can you get into a position where you can breathe more effectively? Well, 
Oh, I didn't have to say adjust your pelvis or put your ribs down or change your head position three degrees. I just said is let's get into feeling. So you were able to self-correct very quickly in a seated position into a position where you had better access to your diaphragm and more importantly can move more air in and out. So take that breath there. Right now, we should be breathing 360. So diaphragm, belly goes out a little bit, rib cage flares on the side. Like if we're an Oreo cookie, we're breathing into the cream filling, chest should <laughs> rise. And as you pointed out, my back should move too, right? I should be breathing 360. And when we begin to think about the musculature of the trunk, the right term is it's a radial contractile field, which means the whole thing expands 360 and compresses 360. And it compresses to maintain the length and integrity of your nervous system, that column. And so uh, what we want to do is try to think, hey, the more effective I am at putting my body into a position where I can breathe more effectively, that translates immediately into downstream power it starts to translate into upregulation of pelvic floor function and diaphragm function. So a, a really complicated way of saying that is you have three diaphragms in your body. You've got one on the roof of your mouth, you've got your actual diaphragm, and you have your pelvic floor. And these things are very reflexive. And so which means is that they're all relatively for peak output and power should be in about the same orientation. So if I crank my head back, I'm not going to take a big breath. And that's the position I'm on the cycle. So we're trying to say, hey, how do I keep the length from head to tail? This is why Pilates and yoga was invented, right? This is why we work on your line and carriage. And in those positions, the body obeys basic rules. When I'm in a good position, things work a little bit better. When I'm in a more compromised position because I have to be on the arrow bars or I'm doing something, I'm going to start to lose capacity. And that capacity isn't mean I'm more likely to get injured. It means I'm more likely to get beat, which I care about even more than injured. I want to hang out with my friends. Rebecca Rush is one of my besties. Like I need all my tricks to keep up with Rebecca Rush when we ride together, right? It's kind of a, it's kind of a have and have not situation there. So the idea then is what you just figured out was you have the best bike fit tool ever. Am I in a good position on the bike? Well, get into a shape with your head and body where you can take the biggest breath. And what's nice then is that when you start to suffer or decay or fatigue, you now have a mnemonic to come back to that shape, which is, oh, in this position, I can take the biggest breath. Great, that is gonna be your most rock solid position and the position where you have the most sort of access to your physiology. So. What we realize, though, is that we can actually train the physiology. So I'm just talking about the mechanics of the system, right? And if you get on the trainer, have someone walk around, film your back, film your sides, and in your worst, hardest set, when you're breathing your hardest, see if any parts of your upper back move. See if any parts of your rib move. And what you're going to see is ah, ah, you're breathing up in your neck. It's the only place that's not locked down anymore, which is highly inefficient breathing. And... I think the Tour de France today put a post up of all the faces of the cyclists in like the final sprint. And you'll see that they're all working really hard to create stability through their body. And they got tongues out and grimacing. And that's because their body's trying to figure out a way to stabilize that neural tube. And they're doing it with their jaw and face. And I guarantee you, the more grimace you have, the worse your performance is going to be. I know I wish, I wish it was the other way around. I want to be like a Zen statue. Right, just you can't tell that I'm suffering and dying on the inside. You look over at me, and we're head to head, redlining at limit, and I smile at you. Oh, and I'm, I'm smiling. Like you're <laughs> rude if I do that. Right? I know you're smiling. This is why you're a savage. 
So what's nice then is then we can begin to say, okay, well, can I put a ball in my back and breathe into that spot? So could I lay on a roller on my trunk? So for example, most of us have probably laid on a roller on our hips or a ball on our quads or calves or hamstrings. But when did you actually talk to the muscles of your belly or your trunk? Right? You're like, oh, I'll damage myself. I'm like, really? You think you're going to damage your kidneys? So your respiration, rib cage, musculature, the QL is like the hamstrings of your back. Your psoas is like the quads of your spine. You have this corsature of all of the internal obliques, external obliques, et cetera. Those are just muscle tissues like your hamstrings. And most of us have never, ever even mobilized our trunk or tried to breathe into the belly. And what you see is, wow, I am so stiff in my belly and back. I can't even take a breath in these positions. So I suggested you someone walk around and film and see if you can bring awareness. And the way to do this is during your warm-ups. Dur- you know, when we're going hard in the paint, I don't want you to think about your breathing. I want you to think about where your wheel's going and how you need to drop this kid or how you're going to attack. That's not the time. But warm-up is the best time, especially when on the trainer, to put breathing as a skill back into our riding. And what we love to do a lot of with our athletes is we do a lot of nose-only breathing. And that's become very popular. Boutreco, Oxygen Advantage, Laird Hamilton, Brian McKenzie. I mean, if you... Everyone is talking about this for a minute, right? And the yogis have been talking about it for a thousand years. But it turns out that, and this is really probably the most important part of this whole conversation we're having, is that if you can make your body more CO2 tolerant, which means you can handle higher CO2 levels, which means that you're going to be a little bit more toxic all the time. So if you can, and we do this easily through nose breathing, because the nose breathing allows us to have higher CO2 levels in the bloodstream. And what's important about that is it's the CO2 in the bloodstream that allows the oxygen to come off the hemoglobin. So what I'm saying is most of us actually aren't desaturating. Some of our Tour de France guys and girls can go down in the 70s. I know who you are. But most of us, are maybe we crack 80 on a big effort. But what I'm saying is you have this almost unlimited resource of oxygen on the hemoglobin, but you can't access it because you're over-breathing and scrubbing off all that CO2. So when we begin to do some CO2 drills, and let me give you a simple one that you can start doing right now. And this came from one of my coach friends who works with world champion freedivers, okay? So who are obsessed with these things. So during your warm-up on your spinner, on your trainer, on the road, at second 50, so 50 to the top of the minute, I want you to take a 10-second inhale. So let's just sit here for a second and see if we can take a 10-second inhale. Ready? Everybody Three, do it. Two. Ready? Go. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I know you're out. Eight, nine, ten. Most people got to five or six seconds. You're like, <laughs> right? No, I'm at the and what top. you <laughs> good job. And what you what you saw there was, hey, this is a chance for me to actually prime and get that ventilation system moving. So this kind of pranayama idea is that first 10 seconds, I can now put some awareness in, breathe, breathe, fill, 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 fill. So I'm priming my diaphragm. I'm working on the mechanics. So at the top of the minute, I want you to hold your breath. And what I want you to do is just pedal along, holding your breath for as long as you can. That's it. No big deal. And all I want you to do, just heart rate easy or 120, 130, you're cruising out. And then when you pop, 
which I want you to do. I want you the bomb to go off in your face. It should feel like your worst climb. <laughs> then I want you to shut your mouth, breathe through your nose, and start again at minute at second 50. And what you'll see is you'll probably have about 20 or 30 seconds to get your crap back together before you have to do another one of those. And that's a really simple way to begin to add in what we call some CO2 tolerance drills while you're warming up, while nothing is happening. You can begin to work on, hey, I'm gonna put some awareness into my breathing. I'm going to work on the CO2 tolerance. And what we find is that if we can get your brainstem more comfortable with higher CO2 levels, then when it's time to go hard in the paint, when you really, really need to kick it up a notch, you won't feel like you need to overbreathe in gas. And what's actually happening now with all of our athletes is no one gases out anymore. You're just actually not strong enough to work at the limits of your lung cardiac function capacity, which means your legs will die every time before your lungs will ever die. And that is a crazy idea. I can get my heart rate into the 90% of my heart rate max, nose only breathing now. So five years of this practice, and we're seeing massive efficiency gains in the mechanics of our breathing and getting our brains to be comfortable with this CO2. Kipchoge ran the sub two hour marathon with his mouth shut. Wow. Hmm. Wow, interesting. Hmm. I wonder what that's about. Yeah, I think that looking at your different systems individually is important. And some people have very strong respiratory systems where they can be at their threshold and not be breathe like their breathing doesn't switch yet because they either have the CO2 tolerance or they're just able to breathe really efficiently. Well, and you know, it's funny because there's some tricks for this. So if you go for a sprint or suddenly go for a big, big climb, what you'll do is you will blow up and then your breathing will catch up to your physiology, right? But try this, before you sprint or climb, start breathing like you're at the top of the climb and you'll never get behind. Because you know, what we know is that when you're at limit and all of a sudden you go harder, you blow up and it takes you a second to kind of flirt with that threshold and then you blow up and then you come down a little bit and you recover and you're back up and then you blow up and die a little bit and you come back. But if you can stay ahead of that curve for that whole time, that's really remarkable. So. What's nice is that it gives you a place to focus your pain, it focuses your breath, and as you pointed, when the breathing changes, so what we see is a good system developed by our friend Brian McKenzie is you can go nose-nose, in and out through the nose, oh, starting to get a little harder, in through the nose, out through the mouth, sprinting, trying to kill you for beer, you know, the, at the, for honor and glory, right? Then it's gonna be mouth-mouth, but as soon as I, can get out of mouth, mouth, I go back to nose, mouth. And then as soon as I can recover, I go to nose, nose. So what I track today for these 30 second peak wattage outputs on my watt bike is how fast I can get back to nose only breathing. And what I was interested in is, wow, could I get back to respiration under control at more quickly? And as I started to fatigue, that became more and more and more difficult. But that was the metric I was tracking. I was kind of back under control, had 30 seconds of nosing, only breathing. It's very easy, right? And then what I would see is, as I started to fatigue, I'd barely get my act back together at the end. And I was like, oh, I wonder who's popped, who's done, right? And it's also reflected in my wattage. And what's great about this conversation is it means the limit of my cycling ability isn't my physiology, it's my skill. And when we begin to shift just can I put more watts down, more miles down, more, you know, because we really are selling ourselves short about how skilled of an athlete and a mover we can be. 
And sometimes we do that because it's biking and it doesn't seem very skilled. Yeah, we put so much emphasis, and I'm guilty of this, on the actual pedaling of the bike. But there's so many things that are important that we can do off the bike that don't take very much time that improve performance. But it takes commitment. Like, you're committed to brushing your teeth every day. That's something, hopefully, that most people are doing. So why is it so hard to make a commitment to you know, working on your mobility or having your own like recovery process or like meditation is another thing. It's like, these are really important things, but we don't prioritize them like brushing our teeth. It's sometimes difficult for us to see that the relationship between positive behavior and negative behavior or, or, or positive behavior and positive outcome. And so really, you know, I used to actually tell my coach, like, I'm a stretch coach. I'm pre-stretched, you know, like this was an elite track coach who was like, kid, shut up. Like, come on. I was like, I feel fine, coach. I don't need this. Right. And the problem was that old guy couldn't connect me pulling on my hamstrings with doing anything more athletic. And that's the issue is that we've never connected performance and output to our behaviors. We're, once again, we're like, do this or else, right? Like, do you remember the, you know, Alan Lim, Stacey Sims launched this whole food revolution. Why do we do that? Well, it turns out we could ride our bikes longer and faster and it was more fun and you had less diarrhea. Well, that was a win, <laughs> right? Those are all positives, right? And so what we always say is we're not in the game of no, we're in the game of add it and prove it to yourself. And what we've seen, because we get to work alongside really a lot of gold medalists and a lot of world champions, a lot of world record holders, is that every single time the statement is the same. Athletes do what works and they discard what doesn't work. And I think that is the most ruthless litmus test ever. I see so much gimmickry and so much crap, but you know what sticks? Stuff that works. You know what athletes do religiously? If you give them something that takes away their pain and makes them faster, I don't have to sell you on anything, right? That's the game. And eventually, we're going to have the conversation because you may be Kate Courtney, who had the consciousness, came out of the right system, who's early and on it, right? Or you may be someone who got injured. You know, I, I started working with a guy named George St. Pierre, who is a pretty good fighter. He's a little Canadian up there. Maybe you've heard of him, GSP. And, um, you know, he tore his ACL, one of his ACLs. And then he called me up and was like, Kelly, I think, I, you know, I want to work on this. And then he got busy and healed his ACL and he tore his other ACL. And he's like, okay, Kelly, I'm really working. I'm committed this time. And it wasn't until he was injured that he got the consciousness. So what we'd love to do is shift this earlier on. And again, that was not his fault. Everyone comes out of a system. And that system, if you're lucky enough to have brilliant coaches around you, then this is part of the system, right? And that's, that's really the game. So you don't ever have to be perfect. I think one of the issues, and I'm generalizing here, but a lot of my road cyclist friends are type A personality people. Their kit is Rafa. They, you know, I mean, they uh, drink the espresso. They, they are meticulous <laughs> in their, you know, and it's like, I'm like, oh, I know what this is. This is OCD, but it looks like biking and totally get it. I self-medicate with exercise. I'm not throwing shade anywhere, right? <laughs> I would be in jail if it wasn't for exercise. But this idea that you're not sophisticated enough or you don't have time, you know, I want people to appreciate that when we put it in terms of wattage and poundage and we don't add another thing to the list. So you notice I said, I didn't say don't hang out with your friends and go have a beer. I said, why don't you roll before you go to bed? And what we found clinically is that if we put the soft tissue work at the end of the day, we had higher adherence. People actually did it because they could work it in. 
If I give my CEO wife another thing to do, here's another box you need to check off to be a perfect athlete. She will kill me, right? She's like, I'm already managing 500 of those. You just put five more on my, my list. So what I want to do is take stuff off that list so that my athletes can actually be home and be athletes. Man, be people. I can't believe our time is all almost up because we just barely like we're, we haven't even scratched the surface of the surface yet. <laughs> What's the best place? Like I, people, can you hear me? I I love biking. I am a bike nerd. <laughs> well, I can't wait for us to ride together once this oh, COVID well, thing's over. I do have a Levo SL, and uh, that 250 watts means that I can keep up with anyone. Well, almost anyone now, right? So it, <laughs> not Kate Courtney. It, 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 <laughs> well, definitely not. But if I if I if I'm holding onto a car with my electric bike, I will tell you. And this, everyone's going to laugh at this, but I just got an Epic and, um, it weighs 10 kilos and it's really light and it goes really fast uphill. It changed my life. Like I was on like kind of a dad stump jumper, which was fine, but I suddenly was like, why am I pushing a heavy bike up this hill? And the bike matters. I just want to say, I think everyone says the bike doesn't matter. The bike matters. The bike so matters, I'm ready to people. So for, for the people who don't have access to great coaches and physios, or maybe they can't afford it, or they don't have time to like have all these different types of coaching, what can they do to actually start moving in the right direction? Well, like we said, tonight, you don't need the internet, anything. Put a ball, put a roller in something that feels stiff, right? Begin a conversation. Yeah. Go onto YouTube, play around, find, you know, Google something that hurts, put a ball there. But... We have this little website that we've been working on for a decade. And actually, you'll be happy to know, it's this week that I started making content for the internet 10 years ago. Happy anniversary. The, the iPhone didn't even have a video camera. <laughs> the first ever video is me squatting in the yard and I aim the camera at my crotch for 10 minutes and it's very bad and very rough. Was it the flip and cam? <laughs> it No, right. It wasn't even a flip cam. It was a Casio, like camera that I filmed myself and then downloaded it. And anyway, my point is there's so much free information, but what we did at the ready state and we're at the ready state.com is we actually have a free two week on-ramp program. And what we tried to do with that on-ramp program was give you the basics of how to take care of yourself. So you cancel after two weeks, you won't get charged, but in that two weeks, you'll get a at an email a day with a video about how to take care of your tissues, about the basics, about why we use some joint distraction techniques. How do I manage breathing? What are some of the basics? And if you just did that little on-ramp program, which will take you 10 minutes a night, you're going to come out of two weeks and be like, I got this. Let's go. You know, where I got the, I got the voodoo bands. Let's, let's party. But, you know, really what we want to begin to just say is that you already have all the information you need. You already have the tools lying around your house. We just need to figure out how to fit them into your life and be a, and not roll up and down your IT band. You can stop doing that. That doesn't help. <laughs> them, right? But we, what we want you to do is actually commit to 10 minutes of something that actually makes better. You only need to work on one part of your body. And if you want more expert resource, come on over to the site, but also check us out on YouTube. I coach on Instagram. I use Instagram and YouTube as sort of as companion teaching tools. So you can kind of see what the application looks like. And I know I look like a big meathead, but I really do like to bike. So what you can see is you can go to those places, see how we teach and how we think about these things. But if you want to learn a little bit more, come over to the site. I love it. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. And I think that there's a lot of new things that people are going to learn that they're going to be up late tonight, hopefully not sacrificing too much of their sleep, trying to learn more about these things. 
Well, super pleasure. And once again, let me just say, always a pleasure to add another mutant woman in my life. My friend, my male friends, you got to keep up. My, uh, the, the, uh, I just have, I am like the most out of shape, slowest, weakest man compared to all the women in my life. So it's great to be in good company again. Awesome. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode. And each and every week, I send out a newsletter on Sunday telling you the podcast of the week, but also I give you an exclusive experience with the thought of the week, which is an article that I write that is only available in the newsletter and a journal prompt, just something to make you think. And you don't have to sit down and write it down, but just things that are questions that we should have on our mind on a regular basis. And you can sign up for that at sonyalooney.com slash newsletter. Make sure you check out the ready state. Make sure you make a commitment to your health and mobility. I'm so excited that you guys are part of this podcast community. Go ahead and hit the subscribe button if you haven't already. I'm with you on this journey of growth, adventure, and our mission to be better every day.